Hello and welcome to The Movement. This episode was recorded as part of the Movement Live series on Instagram. The Movement Live is hosted by 776 BC founder and Olympic silver medalist Cameron mackenzie McCarg and Tokyo Olympic gold medalist Lucy Steffen. This week we have on Olympic women's eight coxswain James Rook. Now over to the show. For our Wednesday morning chat, which is called The Movement Live, uh, I think I've got that right, with myself and Lucy Steffen, Olympic champion. Uh, this morning, we've got James Rook, rookie, as he's better known to the rowing fraternity, who was the Olympic coxswain of the women's eight in Tokyo. And so just returned, well, I say just returned, what are we, we're late on Tokyo. Two and a half months. Feels yeah. like we've just returned because we've been in lockdown. Well, but yeah. We haven't bloody done anything. Yeah. But I must say, Rookie, um, out of all the Wednesday morning chats we've had so far, I felt like I had to get more amped up for this one because um, I know sort of you always bring great energy to your chat. And so I sort of felt like this one, I had to actually, you know, have my three copies in the morning and, and get a bit amped up because I, and uh, this is a, like, for anyone that hasn't seen the rookie report from the Australian <laughs> national chance this year, no, I must say, like, you know, I think sometimes in rowing we take life too seriously. And, you know, there's oh, sort God, of things yes. that happen sort of, you know, on and off the water where it's like everything's, you know, sort of clockwork and we're going to be here and don't hang around and sort of throw too much chat because we're going to sort of be places. But um, I must say the, the rookie report and what you did down in um, – the champs this year was awesome and hopefully um well hopefully you're booked in for many more uh setups like that for the regattas in this this summer and sort of going forward because you're a natural talent yeah, um, sort of, we should talk a bit of rowing because um probably. and the thing that i like also is that like talking about my football days you know when, mm. I, when I was back at school um you know the, the photos were almost black and white sort of in terms of how long ago that was and and one it's of the not black and white. Wanted... I've seen the photo. It's not black and white. Well, one of the things I think was nice to sort of talk about is that as someone that isn't too far removed from you know your school years in terms of what you did um, at Scotch College and sort of your involvement at rowing, and then obviously the rapid um, steep you know sort of rise to an Olympic Games uh, in sort of only a little over four or five years. Um, yeah, it wasn't long. It's a pretty amazing journey. And um, and I think what's what's cool about it is sort of, you know, people leaving, you know, school and sort of going, well, you know, how long do I have to sort of, you know, be in this sport to have a crack at an Olympic Games? And, um, and you know, you've sort of proven that, you know, with the right, you know, learning and the right sort of dedication, you can actually um, put the past together pretty quickly. But I'm not saying that's, you know, for everyone. You've obviously done no, no, a yeah, yeah, job. Yeah. But um, can we start with, one thing which I, I thought has been an interesting theme for um, the chat with Lucy and even the chat with Curtis McGrath, the, um, the Paralympian last week in terms yeah, of the, yeah, well, the start line. And I sort of always think it's really interesting to get into people's head of the, their preparation in the start line. And what was interesting with Lucy, Lucy's got a very structured and her career had a very structured um, start line sort of mental you know prep as the five minutes four minutes clicked in and um and i thought that was well, it was pretty amazing in terms of you know just the structure that sat around it and then curtis um lucy what was the movie um telegate sorry lucy for throwing that hand <laughs> I've actually got but, some great, um, great history with Taliyatonites and rowing. Oh, I can get into that later if you want, but yeah. Well, we might touch on that sort of, um, but I mean, Curtis is, you know, went there for his um, final, Paralympic final, where he's sort of sitting there and needed a, a nice distraction and um, started thinking about the movie. But obviously you've got, a, you've got a job to do in the eight to execute a race plan on your core get all the athletes, you know, sort of focused and in the right headspace. Can you talk us through sort of just the 10 minutes before the Olympics? So the Olympic final that you've just, you know, been through, um, what's, you know, what's the rundown? 10 minutes, five minutes, you know, have, have you got it structured? Have, 
Have you got a well, wasteland sheet sheet in front of you? I'll stop talking and let you do the talk. No, no, that's right. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a little bit further back than ten minutes, um, because we had um, and I I've had for the past ooh, pretty much since I um, since I was at the women's national training center, and then before that even something similar relatively similar similar at the men's center but so it pretty much started let's go from 45 minutes um pre-race so i like to i like to get hands on at about you know 50 so yeah about 40 49 to maybe 50 minutes before the race start um and then we're pushing off with 45 minutes to go and at minimum 45. above yeah, uh, 45 minutes to go, and at minimum uh, about 41. I got away with 40 and a half once, but I didn't really like it. So, um, and then from there, uh, it's pretty simple. We go through, go through a part boat warm up, going from the back up to the top. I want to get that done. Um, we did it this year in sixes. I like to have a stern six, then um, stern four bow pair. I always wanted the, um, I always wanted the stern four to be rowing. Um, so we did those two rotations of sixes. I wanted to get that done within about 500 metres, usually a little bit less. Then we do the eight, and we had about uh, 500 to 600 metres of all eight paddling, nice and relaxed, a couple of quarter side checks, just start to get that rhythm together, really get in touch. After that, you go through 20 strokes, rate 30, down. Um, 15 strokes, 32, down. Um, turn around, come back. I have... 750 metres in Tokyo. I'm going to get two pieces done in that direction. Sit forward, start off the front, rate 20, race start, go, just paddling. Next piece, about mid-30 to high 30, down. Next piece, race pace, turn, stop, drink, check in. Where are my crews? Right, I can do a race start in this direction. I want to get one ready, get back up the start line. Then I have a 250 metre turn in the uh, warm-up, right? Because that's the short gap, because there's... The warm-up warm lane is, I think it was about a K long, and I have little gates partway through. Then I had a 250-metre gate. I wanted to do my race start in the direction of racing, do that there. Or if I didn't have time, I'd do my one-minute piece at race pace in that direction. Sometimes I couldn't do both, so I just choose one of them. And then we turn up, and then I have seven. Uh, when it's really hot, I like to have about seven to eight minutes of just stop. So I want the warm-up done, seven to eight minutes. And in Tokyo, it was really hot. So we just went, right, seven and a half, sweet. I'm at the start line. Warm-up's done. <clears throat> Stop. Um, so then I'm from all, there... I'm all revved up. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm rolling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so from there, then we go through a process of just relaxing, um, trying to talk to each other, remain engaged with each other and not really worry about what's happening outside of us. Um, I love to even try and make even a bit of a joke or we just be our standard self. Cyril, shut up. So I've got a new little doggy. Um, I like to go through just that really relaxed process and we probably start to get called onto the course just before five minutes. And then once we get onto the course, um, we did have that five, four, three, two, one protocol. Um, in our boat, it was a little bit less, um, it was a little bit less rigid than going through me counting five, four, three, two, one. But we used to love to just sit there and remind each other about what we're doing here, what we want to achieve and our big picture goal. And then as we get closer and closer, without me actually counting down the minutes, I would just keep an eye on things and start to start to talk quite broad and then just bring those conversation and that chat from me which is usually at this point when we're attached, just me talking and a little bit of conversation back, but not really much. Just me talking about narrowing, narrowing, narrowing. What did we do in the warm up? What was really good? And then all of a sudden, I went one minute before, absolutely nothing else in the world matters except the first stroke. Um, and wow. that is the only thing we worry about. And so that was uh, so you're not, um... the protocol there. So, by the sounds of that, you're not trying to rev them up in that last three minutes before go time. 
You're, you're not revved up before an Olympic climb. final. <laughs> well, no, this is the thing. And I this feel is like what it's naturally too... there, though. Yeah, hundred like, percent. I mean, you just had the you just had so... the rev up. Like that's that's that the rev up happens when. I mean, I don't know how you can rate. I don't know how you rate forty and try and smash out some one sixteens or one eighteens, something like that, and not be revved up. It just. I, and I was lucky. Maybe I'm lucky with the girls that I have. That they that is what they do. They do get revved up, and and for me, it's about channeling that energy. Well, because you would have been on. So I was on quite a few start lines where you'd hear some of the other countries, like it sounded like a zoo up at the start of a. Oh yeah. Know, um, oh, eight, he is a zoo. Final. and like you know, there was sort of you know, I remember the Canadians, you know, really sort of like a bunch of gorillas in the boat, all sort of revving themselves up and screaming Jake and yelping Wetzel. and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they were sort of, you know, and I was trying to work out is that their internal thing or is it an intimidation thing? But it sort of felt like they were trying to be sort of quite outward with the rev up, where then there was other crews, and this is, sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, this sounds like your approach where, you know, you're trying to just get back to simple, clear your heads, let's go. Is that. Yeah, I think um, there is. Uh, I. I think that this actually, for me, this is what we used to, that's pretty much our, that was our whole mentality. I feel at the women's center, we didn't really worry about what other people were doing because at the end of the day, I can't do anything about it. And, you know, that was, that sort of aligns really well with me because that was something that was taught to me at an extremely young age when I first started rowing at Scotch. Um, I loved it. You know, we had uh, Tom Woodruff, what do you used to always say, you know, well, we don't, we can't control what everyone else is doing. So, you know, don't even worry about it. Like just do what you can do. Um, and so I think that was, um, that was one of our biggest things. Like, what, what am I going to fling, fling something over there and make them catch a crab? Like I can't, I can't do anything to do what they do. Um, and by me worrying about what they're doing, by maybe having a bit of a screaming match or, you know, like, doing that, like, well, all of a sudden I've stopped worrying about what I need to do and started worrying about how to manipulate someone else. And look, if they're half as good as what they should be in Olympic final, they won't even care what you're doing. Um, so I, I just did, you know, didn't even worry about it. Um, and, and that's what also, we, we didn't try and worry about it. Sorry, Nush. I think also if you get too revved up, especially in an eight, then it's pretty easy to pull it apart. Like if you're, yeah, you overcook if all it. ADU, if all ADU aren't focusing on pressing and, and pushing that first stroke together and like, Obviously, wasn't in the eight for the for the games, but pretty lucky at the women's centre. We had a really amazing group of girls, so I got to be a part of some pretty amazing eight races when we would all jump in it together. And it was always that first stroke to press the boat away, and then that G up, that you know, kind of giving it at all. That kind of comes in through the K once you're in your rhythm. I think if you get too G'd up, then you just and you just kind of put the blade in the water and pull or or push, you're not going to push it together. And you've got to, like, an eight, what, an eight weighs about 90 kilos plus... 96 kilos. Yeah, so you're trying to put... Yeah, so you're trying to push, and then your own body weight, so it's between 500 to 600 kilos. You've got to push it together, because if you don't do it together, it's not going to go anywhere. Mm. Well, it's funny, like, you got um I I, I thought about this in... um, so and I'm not going to do the math because I'm, I'm just going to get it wrong. But if you bear with me, uh, so every boat, every boat has a certain amount of draw on the feet, right? Because your feet are connected to the boat. And if the boat weighs a certain amount, then it draws a certain amount. And um, to, based on how many people you've got, that draw is, let's say you're all in time, that draw is divided equally. So the weight of the boat is divided equally. Um, and I believe that the Cox 4 may be one of the lightest boats per person to draw. Um, but, and so that's, I feel like that's one of the reasons why a lot of people talk about the Cox 4 feeling as one of, when you get it right, it's one of the sweetest boats. Coxless, sorry, Coxless. I was going to say one of the su- or Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, I meant, I meant, I meant <laughs> Coxless. From, from whose perspective yeah, is I, I, do, I do love the truck. I do love the truck. But yeah, the Coxless 4 is one of the lightest yeah. boats per person to draw. And then the 8, you've got, 
96 kilos plus 55 kilo cox divided by eight. And then I believe it's somewhere around 16 or 18 or maybe it's even 20. I don't know. I, I told you I wouldn't do the maths. But it's the heaviest <laughs> boat per person to draw. And yeah. so, you know, if, if you do get overcooked, you just, you know, it's not going to come with you. Um, yeah. It was yeah. pretty, yeah, that's what you're saying. It's a good, um, yeah, I mean, it's, well, that's that's been my experience with sort of rowing fours and eights, but yeah. describing it like that actually is a really nice way because it, it sort of creates this feel too. And, and I mean, actually, that's one thing I was going to sort of ask is feel versus visual. Where do you sit? Are you sort of, are you trying to do both? Well, you know, what, are you more a visual person and looking at, you know, blades in and sort of how the athletes are moving? Are you sort of just super in tune with the feel and that's where you sort of, you know, try to go to or you combine it all together? Well, it's, develop- it's developed over years. Um, you know, first getting in a boat, it was not even feel or see. I just got told what to say. And then yeah. um, I actually, I remember my very first stroke set, which was Hamish Molner in the fourth eight. And he, he was telling me everything to say. Like I had no idea what I was doing. It was the first session in a boat and he just said, oh yes, arms only this one now, arms only this one now. And I then, you know, he told me, you know, uh, stroke side back, bow side tap, full slide spin. And then weeks later, I then realized what that meant. So first of all, it was all visual based on what I'm, I have to say something. And then I learned what that said on the visual. And I think something that more recently now I've tried to, um, I've actually tried to develop is that feel of things. And so what I am trying to do now um, and, and what I've, you know, really, really focus on is my feet and my bum talk to my brain, my eyes confirm it. And then my mouth says it. Right. So I feel something in my feet or, you know, my seat and then it goes out to my brain and then you sort of look for that feeling. So for example, once you do it in that process, then all of a sudden, if you feel certain things, then I go like, Oh yeah, that's, that's Lucy. That's Lucy not doing this. Or that's Lucy doing this. And I can see by going, Oh yeah, now I remember I can see that. And so I can associate that feeling, confirm it with my visual and then tell, tell Lucy what to do. Um, so that's where I started to try and get to. And um, I got, got much better at it actually in, um, in the 20, 2021 campaign. Um, but I, I probably first actually learned how to row in the Cox pair in 2017. That was when I first actually realized how to Cox because I just got in the bow, sat in there in my little cubby in the, uh, what do we call that? The water, the water taxi. And, um, I had Angus Whittacombe and Darcy, Pig and Darcy, good pair. Um, and I just used to row around in there. I wouldn't say much. And I'd listen to what they say. And then all of a sudden I started to realize how a pair worked and I could feel that. And so taking that into the eight. So now it's all about, it's all about what I feel in my feet, my bum, confirm it with my eyes and say it. So feet, bum. And I mean, <clears throat> I think this is good for um, coxswains and young coxswains trying to understand the feel thing. Cause it is the hardest thing to, yeah. to pull together and understand, okay, I'm feeling this, but what does that mean is obviously the tricky part of it. But closed eyes, do you ever do closed eyes to sort of get that sensation dialed up a bit? Yeah, I've done closed eyes a little bit. Um, although being in a steering role, I have sort of steered away from it a little bit. But one of the things, one of the things I actually started to do, which um, my recent coach, Tom Westgarth, Westy got me to do, which was awesome. He just say, right, don't say anything for like three, four minutes. Like genuinely don't say a word. And I would just sit there. And then some of the girls would start to talk to each other. They'd give each other calls and I'd just sit there. I even sometimes got my phone out and I just held it there and I started filming. I just sit there, I just listen, feel. Sometimes I just sit there and enjoy it. Um, and... No shoes in the boat allowed for coxswains. Good work, Stewie. Yes, right. yes, Stewie. Stewie. That's right. What's That's why you have your feet, mate. Oh, good. Um, okay, you're saying never wear shoes as a coxswain. No, no, no. Never never wear you shoes. Your if you're cold, you wear socks. But 
um, just instead of closing my eyes, I found actually not saying anything. And I'm not talking, yeah, 10 strokes, like five minutes, which is a long time. For someone who talks, five minutes is a long yeah, bloody time. It's an eternity. And just saying well, nothing. Saying nothing, and, and then you really start is, to feel it. Well, this is one of the things that I think is a really good sort of conversation for cops and, and coaches, I'll put it out there, is that the not talking part is just as important as the talking part. And sometimes it's more it important than not talking part. And it's, you're right, people think the, the easier part is to not talk. That's the hardest part because you've got to actually give you know, time and space for the rowers just to do their thing. And mm. uh, and then if you're the talker in the boat, there's a fair bit of discipline because it's easy to sort of just almost commentate, I imagine, on every stroke. Yes. And sort of, you yes. know, and I think that's, you know, I mean, you're better to talk to this than sort of I am because I've never sat in a cock seat, but I've sat in plenty of boats with coxswains and it's like, you know, you can sort of see sometimes when they get themselves into a position of commentating as opposed to, yeah. you know, the, the coxing and, and almost coaching job, but... Yeah, um, it's a difficult ever... balancing act. Yeah. I still yeah. sometimes fall into it now. Like, yeah. I have absolutely no word of a lie. There would still be points where I would uh, accidentally just start commentating, and, and you've just got to be able to acknowledge and pull yourself out of that. Um, now, now, rookie, you've obviously got because we're we're getting lots of questions this time around from Jack Griffin saying. Do you have a heads up about coxing steering head um, head pieces or head races? I imagine. Do you have any tips career? about steering head? Yeah, right. On. So, so it's like usually, head of the head yeah, of right. I must say, yeah, we don't usually get a lot of. Um, what well, it is? It's yeah. yeah it's so in two US, days, isn't it? Charles, yeah, yeah, on the weekend starts Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you know, there's um, if anyone. It's on your bucket. It should be on your bucket list if you're a rower to get over to Head of the Charles at some stage because it's um, it's an amazing event. You wouldn't believe how many boats are involved, but it is. It's a good coxing race. Like yeah. you need a good cox in the boat because it's it turns, there's stream. It's so uh, it's on the Charles River in Boston. But um, yeah. So um, so Jack Griffin, um, have you got any thoughts about particularly coxing a Head race, so that's you know Henley's a good example when you're sort of head to head with another crew. Yeah, well, it's a different it's, dynamic. It's, head racing, that? head racing is so like one on one, just you and someone else is. It's um, it's probably one of the most difficult. It's probably one of the most difficult um, different difficult coxing experiences, um, because really there's a lot of spotlight. Um, you are you, you are on and when you make a call that's really effective, it can be extremely effective and you can slide right out. And then the same way, when you make a call that's not quite right and, you know, uh, you impact the boat in a negative way, you can get slammed and pushed out of length. But I think one no, of the just, most important... Just, just, just for context, Rookie, because Jack Griffin's just made another comment saying he's pretty nervous and wound up about the head of the Charles. So oh, it's the head of the Charles, to... not like a yeah. head thing. No, well, so, so head just, of the Charles, but... Yeah. Don't make well, me more nervous by your... No, 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 no. But <laughs> give me, the, give me some the point is, the point is that you can make good calls and then you can make bad calls. It happens. But what's really important is to not panic and go away from the plan, right? So good. to give you, I think, a good example, um, one of my most unsuccessful results was probably one of my most memorable coxing experiences which was head of the Yarra in maybe it was it 2019. And I was, uh, was coxing the Merck's eight and we had like three injuries and then all of a sudden there's more and more people coming in and it's like, you know, our crew is theoretically, um, we're getting a little bit slower because we're losing some of our top guys. Um, but we just had such a clear, clear plan. And we knew exactly what we wanted to do. We knew how we wanted to do it. And we were going to go out there and do it no matter what. And we started off fantastically. We went off third. I'm taking times with my feet, trying to press my cox, button, cox box button, saying like, geez, we're, we're catching margin. And we get just before Big Ben as a little fisherman. just And his lure is in between my fin and the rudder. And just the rudder just goes 
<laughs> and so if anyone, any one of you have done Head of the Yarra, um, they have the big bend, which is like, it's a 120 degree turn or something, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, you need some serious... I'm going to say, yeah. Um, it's like that. Yeah. You, 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 know, you have to turn in this direction. So it's a, yeah. it's a, and I had no rudder, no rudder. Um, and we had to end up, you know, I don't know how, I, I don't know how we did it, but we ended up steering round and there was a crew in front of us and we were catching them. We just happened to get on the inside corner. Um, so they, you know, they had to yield Sydney, Sydney university boat club. And you know, <laughs> when we turned round, they didn't yield, bang, crashed into us. We've got blades going everywhere, holes getting into boats. And the best thing that happened was that our boat is taking on water and absolutely every single one of those guys in the boat just got on with the job and kept going. The boat was filling up with water. It was getting heavier and every single person remained focused on the job at task. And we just kept going, so, kept going. And so, we ended up overtaking them. And I'll tell you what, no, no way we were going to win. We had that much water on board. But everyone stuck to the task. And then for a coxing point of view, I wasn't going to just throw out the plan. We still wanted a couple of things that we were working on. It wasn't many. It's about three. And we just stuck to the three things. And even with no rudder, a hole in the boat. And um, I think Eric, the bowman, got an order to the back. And he still focused on those three things and did his job. And a successful regatta. We learned so much from that. And that was one of my favourite races. So to round that out for Jack, because I think the thing is with head racing or something like Head of the Charles, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on around yeah. you. And it's chaotic and there's a whole lot of stuff you can't control. But being internal in the boat on some simple things and when Pick stuff is things. happening, That's just it. keep going back to it, keep going back to it. Yeah. Is that, yeah. I think as well, yeah. yeah. And just to add to it, like know your line, I think, Going back to Head of the Yarra, like, for us, that's kind of our Aussie Head of the Charles 9K race on a bendy, bendy river. And you'll find, especially in the open women's division, a lot of the time either Mercs or Melbourne Uni will win because the Sydney crews come down, they don't have a local Cox, and the Cox doesn't realise what line they need to take. Mm. So those Sydney crews, like, or the even the all-star crews, so NTC girls will put together, like, a really, really fast eight from all the NTCs. And then you got Mercs and Melbourne Uni that's got like a couple of youthies. Like Melbourne Uni's pretty much got me and then some really good under 23 girls. Mercs has got Mozzie and Kat. Tough gig there. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's more about Mercs and Melbourne Uni. And even, you know, Sydney Uni or like the All-Star 8 will come up and they'll overtake us in the first couple Ks. And then we get to Big Bend and we just pop around Big Bend and then it's really windy for the last four Ks. And then we just row through them and we'll, like a Victorian crew will always win because we have a coxswain who knows that course. So head of the Charles, study up on the course, know the course, know where the stream is, know where the bends is, know how you're going to attack those bends. Know if you need, you know, bow side to pull harder, stroke side to kick it around. Like know those calls because that's going to get you where you need to get to. Yeah. And yeah. I think to, to, to give a pragmatic uh, example that I'll try and keep relatively short, um, for the, every single, every single head of the Yarra that I've done since coming to Mercantile. So since I left school, I always followed in the morning when the masters were racing, I followed one Cox, Billy Webster. Um, Billy's a, Billy's, uh, was an older Cox from Merck's Cox for Australia. And he has done almost double the amount of head of the arrows that I've been alive. So every single, every single day, every single morning of Head of the Yarra, I would come down, get on my bike, and I would just watch Billy. I'd watch him race and follow him the entire race. And then in my race, I'd just go and do the exact same thing as him. The exact same thing as him because he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, and so that preparation was uh, really important for me to be able to go and watch someone who could upskill me. Um, and then... Yeah, that was that that was that was the way I did my lines. Now, rookie, there um there was a further comment from Sydney about how do you get into a state team, but I think it's a good question actually, just to sort of go back to where it all began for you with your sort of school experience in rowing, and 
And what actually I love about your story too is like, it's not like you had the sort of tick the box kind of, you know, first, you know, first eight, then into, you know, state Australian sort of teams and sort of all the obvious steps you've had. So you finished in the third eight in year 12. Is that right? Yep. Yep. And then I think what's awesome to have a discussion around is like your experience from there into then, you know, state, national representation into an Olympic Games and just the steps that you identify as, what did you get right? You must have got a lot right. But then also amongst that, there's a lot that sort of, you know, you change training centres from the men's to the women's. And I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. How did you, like how, so go back to school and then sort of into initially, you know, club, club land. What yeah. were the sort of stepping stones that worked for you? Well, I think um, the, the most important thing that has been and will always be a big foundation for me whenever I'm involved in rowing was that I really enjoyed it and I got a lot out of it. Um, and the moment that I probably stop enjoying it is, well, I don't really see that day coming, really. <laughs> um, I really love the people and, and, and what I get out of it. And so from that enjoyment, um, I wasn't really ever discouraged about you know, you obviously have goals. I've always had goals, um, but I wasn't discouraged if you either didn't get those goals or, you know, you, um, you, you're just missing out because at the base of everything, I really enjoyed what I was doing. So I wasn't going to let someone or something or some result dictate me continuing or not continuing. Um, so, you know, I started... Um, Started in, in the fourth eight at school. I didn't do year nine or year 10. I went straight to the, the fourth eight. Um, and from there, that was in year 10. And then in year 11 and year 12, I uh, was in the third eight both years. Uh, and I remember my very first season, I didn't have a goal. I was just rowing. And the next year, uh, my goal, I wanted to cox a Hudson boat. And the Hudson boat at Scotch at the time was the first eight or the second eight. So that was my goal. I wanted to be in a Hudson boat. And I remember I got into the third eight and about two weeks into January, we actually, we got a Hudson. So I thought, oh, that's, that's a funny way of, uh, you know, <laughs> you keep, you keep persisting, keep persisting, you know, don't let, don't let you not getting your goal, you know, detract you because um, you never know what's going to happen. And then the year after that, I said, right, I want to go to nationals and nationals. You have to be in the first or the second. And I got the thirds again and, you know, that was disappointing. And, um, but at the same time, I really, really enjoyed being in a third eight and I loved the guys I was doing it with and we had a great time and ended up get, winning Head of the River and getting, getting um, the, the record. And the day, after Head of, um, the day after Head of the River, on Sunday morning in my living room, I get a call from Tom Woodruff, who was the first coach. I'm like, this is weird. Um, he says, oh, hey, hi, James. I hope you're not too hungover or something. I said, no, I just went home and had fish and chips. Like, you know. And, um, and he said, well, there's been a scheduling error and we need another Cox at Nationals. So I got to go to Nationals. You know, and, and that was my goal all along. But, um, and from the year after, I said, well, I really like Ryan. I'm not just going to stop. I want to keep doing this. So I, I went to Mercantile. I was, um, and my, my goal there was to be the under 21 Victorian youth men's cox. And I was coxing at Mercs and um, we were doing pretty well that season. Um, I was trying to get, uh, we were all trying to get better and we were probably all a little bit, you know, young and dumb and, and we didn't quite really understand what it, what it really takes. And I think, um, we probably all just fell. I probably just fell into that position. I think that due to a lot of other people, maybe not being there, or, or maybe it's just a bit of determination, but I really think it was probably me, a bit of luck there. So that was part of it. I fell into that position. Um, and the next year I said, right, I want to do it again, but I want to go better. I want to get a result. I want to get a medal. Um, and so my second year out of youth was probably the first time that I, I properly had, um, some pretty good speed humps, which was that I, I couldn't even make an under 21 eight uh, at Merck's. Um, so how, really how struggled. did you work through we that? We had, um, we had, uh, we had another Cox that was getting in. I just, I couldn't do anything right. I really struggled so much. And, um, 
one of the things that I really helped me was I just went to those older members of the club. So even people like Cat Wary, um, who I now row with, um, who like Angus Whittacombe and Tom Hunt, who were older people at the club. And then again, some of the older coaches. And I just decided that I wasn't going to give up based on not really quite getting there yet because I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed working with those people. So I continued to try and get better, always ask questions. Um, and then there was a three-week period where I started to really, really click on a few things. And all of a sudden, there was an email from Ian Wright saying, can you come to trials? There was, uh, all of a sudden, you're going to be under 21 Merck's Cox. Now you're going to be the under 21 Victorian uh, Youth Men's Cox. Sorry, you're going to get rid of that. Now you're going to go and get the King's Cup Cox. There was this three-week period that, you know, I just had to work hard, keep asking questions, and then all of a sudden, just things just started to click, you know. So I think through the through a bit of persistence and and, and that underlying joy for the sport, yeah. I wasn't going to let you know just a little result um, dictate me my rowing. So uh, asked lots of questions, and all of a sudden I was coxing the uh, the King's Cup, and about a week after that, I was coxing the Australian Men's Eight. So, yeah. you know, in a season, not being able to get a gig at Merck's to, to, the, to, the, to, the, top, to the top dog in, in the country was, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Well, it sounds, I mean, and this is the thing, the way you tell the story, um, which is probably a pretty humble way of telling it, is like, you know, it sounds like you're, you're getting lucky across, you know, all those sort of, you know, stepping stones, but it's not luck because, you know, luck sort of gives you opportunities, but you've got to, it's what you do with opportunities that, you know, is the biggest difference to where you get to. And, um, and obviously, you know, I think it's sort of your idea of asking questions of, you know, senior rowers and people that have sort of been before you. That's something that I think naturally in, in rowing, it, it happens across all sports, but when you're young, you're pretty intimidated by the, yeah. you know, the Lucy Steppens of this world. And so, and so, but I mean, but, you know, I mean, they've all been through all the stuff that you're trying to yeah. still work through and, yeah. and your ability to ask questions. And it's, I mean, it's one of those things, it's a real off-the-water exercise of being brave enough to just go up to Lucy and go, you know, how do you sort of, you know, handle your nerves when you're sort of going into a final and all those sort of things that you're trying to understand, what's the best way to do this? But, um, but it sounds like that was a real strength of yours is like just don't there's no ego involved there's no intimidation just go and ask yeah. questions and uh, well and that's you know. it and that's it's so important that that right there is pretty much the foundation for success in anything like, literally anything um when you and there's a big difference between going up and asking a question and asking for advice of someone and actually listening to the advice because any anyone yeah. can go up and ask but you actually need to listen to do something about it. I've seen plenty of people go up and ask someone a question and they've asked just because they want to talk to this person or maybe they just want to be seen to ask. Um, and you actually need to go seek advice and then think about it and act on it, um, which yeah. is why I've got my little, like, this is a Cox's best friend. Uh, this, is my little, this is my little book of, of secrets, which, um, well, this is my Olympic one, so it doesn't have much in the back half because it was a short campaign, but, you know, this is all like just all these little notes I get from people. There's a five or six page conversation with Drew again in here because I decided to give him a call and ask him some questions, write it all down and then act on it. Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, there's, I think asking, asking for advice and, and seeking, seeking help from others is one thing, but to actually act on it and listen is another thing, and that's the most important bit. I was going to say, before you said that, Nush, like, absolutely. I think there's nothing more infuriating as an athlete when someone comes up to you and asks for your advice, which obviously it's amazing. It's it's maybe, I don't know, people do say that I'm intimidating, so maybe it has taken a bit of guts, but there's nothing more in, annoying when they ask you for their advice and then they just don't listen to it. And you're like, well, yeah. I told you. I, like... He specifically said, I need this from you and you didn't give it to me. And if so, if, a, if an athlete or a cox does that to me, then I'm kind of like, well, what are you doing here? Because you're not yeah. 
you got to you got to act on it. You've always got to be learning. It's the same for me. Like, and I'm not. It's not like I stopped doing that. Like Drew talk, um, Brooks talking about talking to Drew. It's like I'll still talk to Drew. I still talk to Kimmy. I still talk to all the people who've done it before me. Constantly learning and constantly taking on. And as long as you're always doing that, whether you're an athlete or a cox, then I think that's like the most important thing you can do to improve. Yeah is ask questions and then when you get those answers, take it on and think about it. And you might not be able to take on every little thing they said, but if there's one thing that stands out for you, you put that in your toolkit and you keep That's it. Do you reckon keep building um, your toolkit. Do you reckon you need to write it down? Because I'll put my hand up Absolutely. and say, I reckon I, I'm yeah, not 100%. good at that always, but and whether you write it down or type it into your phone and your notes section or whatever yeah. but yeah it's the rec- the recording so the conversation is obviously the key point where you're getting you know the sort of useful information and advice and um and actually sydney sort of came back with a comment about um she's a coxswain um with her program and how you give the sort of um, young coxswains you know some starting advice but i think we're talking about now is the you know just asking the questions but it is the yeah, it's, it's great having a chat. It's like, you know, and that's the easy part almost. It's then sort of what you do with it. And the first thing, and I like how you've got your black book there. Cause well, I might learn something. I've got to write it down, mate. I've got my pen right <laughs> here. Like, seriously. Yeah, well, he hasn't I've got, got my it book as well. Though, Everyone's got a book. Everyone's that's got it. a book. Yeah, yeah. You know? But it is that. And it's a recording it because, like, you can sort of, and often don't overwhelm yourself by sort of trying to take 15 sort of, you know, um, nah. things away from the conversation but within every conversation you always you know pick up one or two things three things um that are really sort of useful for you to just add into your you know sort of toolbox and experience of what you want to sort of then go and do with it which um yeah you gotta yeah. Work, work in the power of threes work in the power of threes um four is just four is a crowd it's too many it's too much to remember um and even then, even further past that, um, like work on one thing. So for a Cox, for example, great, um, great piece of advice I got from Josh Dunkley-Smith um, was, why are you trying to fix all 110,000 of our problems? It's like, you're never going to get it done, mate. Fix one of them. And I said, oh, but I'm a little bit worried about just repeating myself. And I said, that's fine. You'll always have a couple of different ways of saying it. So more often than not, I'll have one thing I'm trying to fix with three things of how to say it. One problem, three ways. And usually those three ways are exactly the same, but I use some different language in each of those things, right? So I, have one, I only have one problem and I might be working on that for weeks, but I have my three ways of saying it. And that's, that's it. You don't need 100. You don't need to fix 110,000 yeah. different things. I think to back that up as well, like it's a huge thing when you're sitting in the boat and it's that thing, you just want the same thing. You just need to be reminded. Like when you're hurting, when your legs are burning, you like, and I think that's a hard thing as a cox, you have to be really, really smart in the way that you're going to sound dumb because someone who repeats themselves, it's obviously not usually it's, it has that alliance. I'm not going to say dumb, but it has that alliance of being not smart. But as a coxswain, you do have to repeat yourself. You do have to say the same thing over there because that's what your rowers want. That's what we want. We want to re yeah. We want to sit in the rhythm. And it's easier for us to sit in that rhythm and stay in it when we're all thinking about the same thing and that same thing needs to be repeated. That's it. Yeah, I reckon, Rookie, that's that's an awesome tip. Like, I think, and that's where sort of often we get it wrong as rowers, as coaches, as coxswains, is that, you know, you're trying to solve too many things at the same time. But that one thing, and three different approaches to it. I actually think that's sort of um, one of the. I'm going to write maybe I shouldn't have said. Maybe, maybe maybe I shouldn't have said that. I've let go of all my secrets. No, <laughs> but, I've written. I've written. I've written, I've written <gasps> all your secrets. No. It's the, it's the, it's a classic. Like and even you know I'm I'm starting to do some coach more coaching now, and like there's a couple ways you can look at it, and and I see it all the time when you come down to the Yarra. And you've got this poor little year nine crew and someone's talking about their fingers and the position of this and the position of that and the blade here. And you go, for God's sake, they might not even know their own mother's name when they're halfway down the course, let alone what their fingers and thingos are doing. Like, why are we complicating this so much? 
Um, you know, sport. rowing is such a simple sport that is overcomplicated by arms. humans. Arms, bodies, legs. So, well, yeah, and work, I think, work in the power yeah. of threes. Well, and even, I mean, like, to that point, sort of, you know, the, the repetition of our sport. So there's, there's a lot of things we do in sort of rowing that are the same over and over again. And so coaching in a repetitive nature is just, is just fitting in with, you know, what we need to do. And, and the other thing that I've often critical about is, is sometimes the conversation about the one percenters. And I'm like, that's great, but maybe do the 99% right and sort of focus on the big rock stuff that, you know, you really need to sort of. And the, the amazing thing from my experience is if you get the big stuff right, it's amazing how the smaller stuff just starts the to fall stuff. in place. And, and yeah. not to confuse the yeah. sort of, you know, not to confuse the, because often the one percenter approach is talking about being, you know, really diligent about how you approach everything. So, but yeah. I mean, sometimes it's misinterpreted where you sort of, you, you're focusing on the magic hands that you're sort of, you know, doing in terms of where your fingers are sort of, and it's like, as soon as you get into that territory, I think sort of, it's a really, you know, dangerous space because it starts to become mm. pretty overwhelming in terms of all the things that you need to think about. Yeah. And um, yeah, I like it. I've, I've, I think um, I've sort of, before you go to the next question, I, I've just thought of something that is a, a relatively good tip for Cox's. Um, um, don't underestimate the power of quarter slide check. Oh. Um, quarter slide check, That's, in my opinion, yeah. is the foundation of all technical framework. Um, you, you know, I think half of almost almost three quarters to all of your problems can be fixed by doing a quarter slide check correctly. Um, so, for example, um, uh, just and this is a good one for Cox's listening. Um, if you're having trouble with something like the arrival together, and oh, I'm putting the blade in, okay, you've got three uh, three out of eight people there at different times. The boat's jiggling around. You feel like you're getting thrown out of your seat. Just do a quarter side check and and watch how many people don't get that, that quarter side check at the same time. And then when you get that right, just let them do it, and they'll they'll be able to figure it out. So. Whilst we were on it's that little point. conversation of those things, don't underestimate the power of a quarter slide check. Mm. It's this a meeting point. Don't this do it in shit. the middle of a race. <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the most powerful things <laughs> you know, to no, do no, you is actually... You really slow, it could help you. Yeah. Well, if you're really what, good or you're really I've, I've bad. I've been, I've yeah. been in some races where I think I've needed a quarter slide check, not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. But even um, even as you as you are going through and you're coxing, why why? And this was something I started to realise quite recently. Um, why do we do drills? Why do you do them? You don't do them to get better at them. You do the, do a drill to get better at continuous rowing, and continuous rowing then to get better at race pace. Because you don't train to train, you train to race. So then when you practice practice for your training and you train to race it all links up to race space so why why can i not in the middle of the race say remember your quarter slide checks and then all of a sudden everyone's thinking about how they do those quarter slide checks and they're at rate 40 you know why why, why am i not allowed to say that and the simple answer is you are so if you have drills that work for that person who has the head of the charles coming up if you've got some drills that you did in the warm-up that really linked you up really well for a specific reason Halfway down the thing, when everyone's hurting and they need something to really focus on, why don't you talk about that drill again? Talk about yeah. why it worked and remembering to do that. And you never know, it this might is, work. This is this has become quite a masterclass. I'm actually. <laughs> this is awesome. If you want to have uh, a masterclass, you got to go get Stewie on board. He, he'll he'll be able to really get it going. Oh, we'll get the two of you together, and we'll we'll have to block out five hours to. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, yeah, that's about right. Um, I mean, I, one, one thing out of this um, chat, Rookie, is that uh, I think, well, it has been a bit of a masterclass in terms of unlocking some of the secrets to your success, but it's, yeah, but, uh, I'm serious. Like the, the, the hour that we've spent chatting here, it's, it's Jesus, bloody been obvious out. why you... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> this But, the, yeah, but it's did. bloody obvious why you've been successful. Like it's sort of, I think sort of, yeah, the chat and your ability to sort of, you know, um, yeah, the maturity that you've sort of gone through from, you know, your school rowing and where you started into an Olympic Games um, through this chat. And, like, it's so obvious, you know, what are the you know, real key points that you've um, worked on. And um, and I think sort of some really awesome points for a whole lot of 
rowers and coxswains out there as to, um, you know, how you start to put the building blocks into um, just getting better. And then obviously you've ended up in a pretty special place in Olympic Games. And um, what's the plan, Rookie? I've, I've said this and I've sort of, I've sort of tried to avoid it at the end of every chat. And then I'm too, I'm too revved up at the end of it going, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do? Um, but I, but given that the Olympiad is shorter now, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I can ask a question because not yeah. that the clock's ticking too hard, but, but I need to know where you're committed to. What are you doing? <laughs> well, um, at the moment I've got a, a new job and a new opportunity as a head coach at Loretto Turak, uh, which I'm so looking forward to. I've already been working with the girls, um, you know, great, great bunch of, great bunch of girls and, you know, I'm excited to to try and um to try and do something special with with all of them in terms of you know be become an even more successful program. Um, so really looking forward to that opportunity. And then in terms of coxing, like um I'm I'll be I'll be at New South Wales State Champs coxing for Mercantile. I'm going to want to go do nationals, do the Kings Queens Cup. Like whoever's going to have me, um you know I want to do that sort of thing. And and from there, like um, you know, in terms of going, going again, like we'll we'll just have to see how we go. But um, I think uh, I'm a I'm a bit like a shark. Um, if I stop swimming, I'm gonna die. So <laughs> I think that there will always be the burning, the burning sensation to to continue to go. Um, I'll have to. There's always stuff you need to check in with. Like for example, you know, weight management. That that's something that hasn't been um very easy for me. Um. Uh, so I'm not a particularly tall guy, but apparently I am for coxing. Um, so, you know, I've got to check in with all that sort of stuff, but there's a pretty big burning desire to continue to do it. Um, but right now, like I'm really just loving the, the Loretto stuff and I'm going to go pretty hard with, with that for a little bit. Awesome. Oh, well, rookie the shark is, um, and, and I must say there's been, there's been a few <laughs> further comments. Um, you've obviously... Yeah, uh, there's a lot of people that have got a fair bit out of this call and there's a few requests. Nord, I saw, and Loretto, it might have been Loretto Adelaide, um, requesting you go on a bit of a road trip to um, to help out some of the programs around Australia and <clears throat> you could probably take this road trip over the world when we can get on an international <laughs> flight again someday. <laughs> but, rookie's, um, road rookie's road <laughs> rookie's, trip. Rookie's road trip. Rookie's Thank you very coach. much. I thought Thank I'd just um, for, um... I really really appreciate it, but I want to. I just want to say the last thing was that um, it's I, I have a big thing about writing stuff down for coxes, right? And I think that's probably one of my biggest tips. Write it. You don't have to read it over, but write stuff down. Um, because when I was in year ten, I wrote down in my bedroom in permanent marker on a whiteboard Tokyo twenty twenty in year ten. That was my very first year of ever rowing, and I decided then that that was what I wanted to do, and I. You know, that was in year 10, okay? In so the power of writing some down. Permanent marker, can't rub it out. Still there. Good. Um, and it. so I didn't, have to, I didn't have to see it every day or read it or even think about it, but it was there. And whenever I just saw it, you just remind yourself. So don't underestimate the power of writing something down. Absolutely. Awesome. You're a legend. Thanks, Wookie. Great, um, Nush. Yeah, Thanks, Dan. See you, Luz. Cheers. Enjoy the sunshine down there and, um, yeah, really appreciate it. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You too, mate. See you guys. Awesome. See you, Nush. See you guys.